Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 13. John 13, very famous passage of Scripture, verse 35 and or 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. If you'll follow along with these words as I read aloud, our Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, said to his disciples, A new command I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there have been a lot of articles recently about the post-pandemic church. And people are saying, oh, what's the church going to be like in this post-pandemic era? What's the church going to look like in uh, the years ahead? And, and in basically every one of these that I've seen or read, and I certainly haven't looked at all of them, but there seems to be a couple of themes, um, two kind of themes that I've seen, and a lot of them is, is the theme of content distribution instead of a gathered worship, a gather, people gathering for worship, and superficial connection, they're not using these words in particular, but superficial connection versus real meaningful relationships. Um, these are kind of proposed as the way of the future for the church. What's important is not that the church gathers, but that the church is able to effectively get its message out, get its content out. What's important is not that people have necessarily face-to-face -face interaction, but that people are connecting somehow. And a great tool, of course, for this is electronic connection. And as I've seen people talking about uh, these trends, kind of where the church is going, um, you know, I think a lot of people are reading these articles, but the, the problem is, is what these articles are describing is, is not the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. What they're describing is more like a Facebook group and less of what we see described in the Bible of what the church is. One of the things that it means to be a Christian, one of the things that it means to call yourself a follower of the Lord is that you are inextricably called to be a part of a people, to be a part of a household of faith, to be a part of a family of faith. You are not called to isolation. There is a necessary dependence on God and on his people that is the Christian life. And the more isolated a faith becomes, the less Christian it is. Jesus makes that very clear here. This is a profound statement how is the world to know that you are a disciple? How is, what is the evidence? What is the proof that you're actually a follower of Jesus? And it is that you love one another. This is the evidence, Jesus says, that you really know me, that you really love me, that you love the people that I love that you love the people that I have called. This is how 
The world knows this is how it is proven that you've been changed by the gospel in the way that you love one another. And in order to love one another, there has to be an another. There has to be another person to love. There, there has to be some sort of group, some object of this love. There, there is no such thing as an isolated Christianity. And one of the ways that we understand this, and the way that Christians have always understand this, is an implied calling of followers of Jesus Christ to be a part of a local church, to be a committed member of a church community, and to use your gifts and to use your time and your energy for the sake of that community and again, the, these communities are open to all followers of Jesus, right? They're not just communities that are connected by some sort of socioeconomic class or life stage. It's for all people, all types of people called together in Christ, committed to one another. Now, this idea, you've heard this idea. It, it seems to make sense to you. But I just want to say it doesn't really make that much sense to you because you swim in a world of marketplace relationships. The, the, this, this, this idea, John 13, 34 and 35, we hear this and we nod, but it is so profound in an age of marketplace relationship. And, and this is especially true in kind of an age of e-commerce. I mean, today, if you're in business, you're kind of in business with every other business in the entire world. I mean, that's the way it is these days. I mean, it's, if you want to start, um, you know, a tire company, you're kind of in business with all tire companies out there. You want to start a grocery store. I mean, now people can order their food online. I mean, you're kind of in business with, with every other grocery store that's out there. And so in a, in a marketplace world, in a, in a competitive business world, there's a lot of kind of buzzwords that you see. Efficiency, simplicity, no redundancy, mass impact. And, and I just want to tell you, if you're in business, you need to pay attention to this, right? If you sell tires, if you're in the grocery business, pay attention to these things. This is the way that the marketplace is going. You, you need to be efficient. You need to have simplicity. You need to have no redundancy and mass impact. You need to pay attention to this. This is what's going to draw customers for you because those are marketplace relationships and those are marketplace values. But these values aren't so good for parenting, right? Somebody said, hey, you want to be a good parent? No redundancy. See how that works out for you, all right? I just changed the diaper one time. No, that doesn't work. You want to be a parent? Simplicity, efficiency. I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to work. These are really bad values for parenting. They're really bad values for marriage, right? Marriage is not like this. It's not efficient. It's not simple. It's not... It, it, it is by nature redundant. It, it, it is not mass, right? You can't be married to the masses. It is by nature very specific, by definition, because marketplace relationships and covenantal relationships, which is what parenting and marriage are, 
are very, very different. Covenantal relationships are those relationships that are based on the relationship, not on the exchange of goods. Marketplace relationships are only based on the exchange of goods, right? If, if, if you go to buy tires from some guy and his tires are really bad, you'll stop buying tires from him. Not that you don't like the guy, but the relationship is based on getting good tires. This is not the way covenantal relationships work out, right? Imriana is my daughter, and she's my daughter because she's my daughter, you know, and she's very wonderful and very bright, but I'm sure there's some other fourth graders that did better than her this year at E-Rivers in the fall term. And, you know, I didn't say to her when I saw those other girls' grades, you know, Imriana, we've had a good fall, but there's some other girls that scored better in school this fall. And so I'm going to parent them, okay? And it, but if you'll go in the spring and work hard and get your grades up, then maybe in the summer you can come back home. You know, you know. If I, if I did that, you, you, you'd all look at me like, what's wrong with you? You're horrible, right? Because you, you understand this idea, this idea of a covenantal relationship, not a marketplace relationship. Parenting is not a marketplace relationship. Marriage is not a marketplace relationship. And what I fear when I read about all these trends of the modern church, trends of the post-pandemic church, is that these guys are reading the Harvard Business Review or reading The Economist, and they're not reading the New Testament. Because when you read the New Testament, when you hear what the Lord has to say about his church, the Bible never uses marketplace language when talking about the church. It doesn't talk about the church as a producer of goods. It talks about the church as a family. It doesn't talk about churchgoers like customers that come to get goods. No, but it talks about them as a body of gifted people. It doesn't talk about the church um, as consumers of your goods, but rather as a household. These are covenantal terms, not marketplace terms. So I just want to hear, I just want you to hear. Now, at Christ's covenant, we have some goods, right? We are giving away the little journals. We do these podcasts. I like it when people listen to our podcast and when people watch us and when people stream and do these like, things like this. But my goal as a pastor of this church, our goal as shepherds of this church, fundamentally, primarily, chiefly, is to care for and shepherd and stir the 863 members that are Christ's covenant toward godliness, toward Christ-likeness, toward love for one another. Because we are a body, we are a family, we are a household, and by this... By the way that we love one another, this is what proves that we are disciples of the Lord. Now, there is an exchange of goods within covenantal relationships, right? So if you have a covenantal relationship, there's oftentimes an exchange of goods. So uh, I gave my children Christmas gifts this year, right? Now, had I not given them Christmas gifts... They wouldn't have been able to say, you're not my dad anymore. But because they're my children, because I love them, there was an exchange of good. I gave them gifts. And you know what? They even gave us some gifts. Like John Kellis gave Paige 
this frame made out of pasta. And I just want to be honest, it wasn't that great, okay? <laughs> like, as, as a product, okay, it was just this kind of weird pasta thing, okay? But it was a good given within a covenant. It was a good given with love. And therefore, it didn't have to be that great. It was the favorite thing we got this year. We loved it because we love John Kellis and because he gave the gift with love. And I just want you to hear this. That's the way we exchange gifts here. There, there is an exchange between us, but we're not always having to market ourselves. You know, I was talking to a guy and he's trying to invite someone to church and this person saying, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go to a church where I'm known. To be honest, I don't really have a lot to give right now. And I just, I don't know, I, I got to get my life together before I really come into Christian community. And, and, and what struck me when he said that was this person that he was talking about has been discipled by a marketplace mentality. If you're not marketable, if you don't have anything to give, if you don't have good products, then keep hiding. Don't come out there. Don't be a part of this. When really... That's the time that we need the covenant community most of all. When you're hurt, when you're let down, you know what you do? You run to your parents. You run to a friend. You run to your spouse. That's what the covenant community does. It loves without having to receive a product. It loves when there's no product to give. It loves when the products are bad. And sometimes the products are bad. Marketplace relationships by nature are exhausting and can never be more than superficial. Now, covenant relationships, household, family, it's wonderful, but it's not easy, okay? This is important. It's not easy. Be in a family, right? It's great. You love it, but it's not easy. You, you've got to work at it. You, you've got to give energy to it. And, and I just want to say this too. As the family grows the more complex it becomes. And we've experienced that here. And of course, we've experienced that in our own families. You know, when I, I remember the days when it was just me and Paige, and it was awesome. We didn't know how good we had it, you know? Life was so simple. We could do whatever we wanted to do. Our little family, it was just, it was great. And then, of course, we had a child. And it's still great, but it's more complex. And it's harder, and then we had another child, and again, it got even more complex. And, and then we had another child, and it got even more complex. Now, again, all of our children, we love them. They, they bring so much to our family, but they certainly add complexity. And we, we've seen that here. You know, Blake was just talking. When, when Blake and Abby came on board, there was, there was just a handful, maybe 50 folks that would gather. And it was great. I mean, we knew everybody. It was awesome. I loved that time. Now, our children's ministry wasn't really that safe then. Our worship, like, wasn't that great. I mean, we, we had a lot of needs. And we would say, like, man, if we could just get to where our worship was, you know, good and worked and all that kind of stuff, if we could just get to where our children's ministry was safe. And, and the Lord, by His grace, has done those things in our church. And with that, we've had all these new folks come. And it's been amazing. And it's been great. And we have to bear with one another and live with one another and love one another. It is in this that we prove 
that we are the disciples of Christ. This is a household. It's not that we're all the same. It's not that we all have the same work or we're of the same socioeconomic class or have the same political positions. That's great. We, we bear with one another. We, 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 we learn one another. We stir one another along. It's a union not based in the exchange of marketplace goods. It's a union not based in our homoge- homogeneousness. It's a union based on who we are in Christ, that we are the covenant people of God, and therefore we're inextricably called to one another. You know, there's an old hymn, Beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. How could I now dishonor the ones that you have loved beneath the cross of Jesus? See the children called by God, the household of God, the covenant people of God. You know, as a kid, we would end our services at church. Everybody, we pretty much did this every week that I can remember. We would hold hands and we would even like cross the aisle, which felt very progressive at the time. And hold hands, and we would sing, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Because I know Jesus, I am now connected to all of these people. I didn't understand it as a child, right? I I was too, you know, I didn't get the liturgy that was happening to me. But something was happening to me. I began to understand that, oh, Jesus in me is not just our little thing. He's called me to be a part of this people, of this body. And it's not always going to be comfortable, especially as it grows. But it's what we're called to in the Lord. So in light of this, that's kind of an introduction. We're starting something new today. We've done this a few times in the life of our church where we've kind of like gone back and forth, kind of gone in and out of a series of texts. And we're going to start that today. We're going to spend a few weeks on this, and we'll come back to it a few times, uh, maybe over the next couple of years. And we're going to spend some time looking at the one another commands in Scripture. Some of you are familiar with this. There's 59 one another commands in the New Testament, commands of the Lord to love one another, or to live at peace with one another, or to live in harmony with one another, or to stir one another along. But 13 of those commands are really this, love one another. This is the sign. Jesus doubles down on this one. This is the evidence, right? How do you know that you are a disciple? Is it precise confession, namely? That's important. Is that how you really know? Is it good church attendance? Is it that you give a lot of money? How do you namely know? No, the mark is this, that you love one another. That's how you know that you are a disciple of the Lord. That's how the world will know that you are a disciple of the Lord. And so I just want to spend a little time today looking at this. What does this mean? And I want to ask three questions of this passage. Who, how, and why? Who do we love? How do we love? And why do we love? Now, of course, of course, Christians 
are called to be loving toward everyone, right? So generally, you should be a loving and kind person in Christ. You have your identity in the Lord. You should be known as a loving person. We should show love to outsiders. We should show love to all believers. But where this is really worked out, and we see this in the New Testament, if you don't believe me, I'm about to prove it to you, where we see this really worked out is within the local church. You have to work out love somewhere. If I said, I love everybody in Atlanta, that means something, I guess. But you really work out this act of love when I say, I love my family, right? I love my friend, right? That's how I can actually prove that love means something. I love everybody in Atlanta. might mean I wave to people in the road or, you know, I'm nice in traffic or pay my taxes, but it doesn't really mean that much. I love my wife. Now that means something because now I have to work out this idea with another person, with a family, with uh, an entity. And so the way that we see this call to love, what, what Jesus is calling us to here, the calling his disciples to here, it's, it's a, in a sense, a local church, this body of believers, his disciples, how are you going to show that you love one another? How are you going to show that you love me? It's that you love one another. And the New Testament is very local church-centric. The word that we translate church, and you've heard me talk about this before, is ecclesia. And sometimes in the New Testament, it refers to the global church. About 25% of the time, ecclesia, the church, refers to all Christians at all times and in all places. But most of the time, when we see this idea of ecclesia being described in the New Testament, it is a reference to a local body of faith, a local body of believers. The way we've always said it here at Christ's Covenant, the, the ecclesia, the church, it's those who've been called out. That's really, literally what it means to be called out by the gospel. Those who've been called together in the gospel and those who've been sent out on mission for the gospel. So ecclesia used to refer to the local church. And again, we see this throughout the New Testament. If you understand the New Testament kind of in two main parts, I think this is a helpful way to understand the New Testament. You have the Gospels, which I would say is kind of the story of Jesus, Jesus's life and ministry on the earth. And then you have kind of everything else, which I would say is the story of the church. And so the story of the church post the story of Jesus really begins with the book of Acts. And how does the book of Acts begin? It begins with a spirit-filled local church, praying together, worshiping together, hearing the apostles teaching together, breaking bread together, seeking to meet the needs of one another. And this church is growing. And this idea of Christians joining together in local bodies, we see described and talked about throughout the rest of the New Testament. Look at Ephesians 4 with me. I'm going to make you flip around a little bit. This is a really helpful text to understand if you want to understand this. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at a bigger passage here, 11 through 16. This is a passage that we've looked at many times at Christ's covenant that is incredibly helpful for understanding kind of how we understand what we've been called to in ministry. So verse 11, and he, this is Jesus, gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So this is leaders of the church. This is kind of what we refer to as our elders of the church with different gifts. Here's their responsibility. Verse 12, to equip the saints 
That is you. That is all of us. That is the, the, part, the members of this body to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, right? So what are we using our gifts for? So that the body of Christ, so that people who are called into this family might grow until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, right? So we, we, we together grow to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're, go, we're growing into the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, right? We, we, we're not called, if you've been a Christian for any measure of time, you're not called to be a child in the faith. You're called to grow in the faith, to mature in the faith, to be an adult in the faith. We're no longer like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by deceitful schemes. Rather, and this is really important, this is how we grow. This is how Christian growth happens. Rather, speaking truth in love. This is how Christians grow. We speak truth to one another in love. Remember I talked about exchanging goods, covenantal goods? This is what this is talking about. There is the covenant in love. And what do we do? We exchange goods. We, we, we speak truth within this covenant relationship. We speak truth to one another within the covenant. And what is the result of this? It's growth. Speaking truth in love, we grow up. We grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You know, somebody asked me the other day, what do you like about being a pastor? You know what I really like about being a pastor? Is watching you do this. It's, it's watching you do this. It's when you together, because you love one another and care about one another, speak truth to one another and grow together. And I, I love being a part of this too. Into the head who is Christ from whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is local church behavior. Notice how many times love within the body is being worked out in this text. People ask me all the time, what is your goal for Christ's covenant? Like, what's your goal? And what they what they mean is like, how big do you want the church to be? Or how many locations or how many buildings do you want to have or whatever? That's the, they're kind of asking that. But what I always say is all those things are just means. They're tools. The, the, goal, the goal is this. The goal is this. A mature body that is growing up into Christ who is the head. Where every part's working properly together. It's building itself up in love. That's the goal. That's what we're doing here. So if you're like, I don't want to be a part of that. This is not the right church for you. But if you want to be a part of a church community where people love one another enough to pursue one another and to speak truth in one another's lives so that we might grow into the fullness, so you might actually use the gifts that God has given you to mature in the faith, that is our goal. Another local church-centric text it's very important to who we are as a church. It's Hebrews 10, 23. Flip over there with me real quick. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. So let us, this is the church. This is us. So Christ's covenant, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So how do we keep the faith? How do we continue to walk in the way of the Lord? How do we keep our faith strong and follow God with faithfulness? And here's how it happens. Verse 24. Let us consider 
how to stir one another to love and good works. Who's the one another? It's, it's us. It's the body. Let us consider how to stir one another to love, to love God, to love one another toward good works, not neglecting to meet one another with one another, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it's been a very hard two years in our whole country, in our whole world, facing this pandemic. And, and I just want to say, I, I, for, the, for those of you watching at home, I realize COVID numbers are very much on the rise right now. And we have certainly tried to accommodate um, people watching from home, people being able to participate electronically. We don't want to get people sick. We, we want to do our best to keep people physically well. But we've tried to accommodate this. I, wanna, I want you to hear this with a broken heart. We're not accommodating this as like, man, this is the way of the future. We've accommodated this like crutches accommodate you when you break your leg. Sometimes you have to use crutches. Guys, I've been on crutches a lot. In fact, Paige and I just kind of threw out a bunch of stuff. I have like three pairs of crutches in my house. Because whenever you get injured, they give you a set of crutches and then you just keep them. And so your insurance charges you like $500 for a pair of crutches, you know. But we just threw away some crutches. So sorry if you needed some. But I still have a pair of crutches in my closet, right? Now, when I was hurt, you know, I've torn my ACL twice. David Patton's torn his three times. He holds the crown. But when I've, I've torn my ACL, I've hurt my knee. I've hurt myself. You have to have crutches, and you're grateful for crutches. And so I've been grateful for, like, the ways that we have been able to connect, certainly more superficially, but at least we're connecting. But, but we, we don't, I'm not, I'm, we're not creating a theology that this is the way of the future. We're not creating a theology that this is just as good as gathering together, because it's not. It's crutches. You're not meant to be on crutches. You're meant to run. You're meant to walk. You're meant to use your legs fully. And that's the gathering of the saints. This is how we keep the faith. We meet together. And when we meet, we're not just here consuming, right? We're not just here going to a thing. We're here to consider one another. I love that. Do you consider one another when you come here or just yourself? Do you say, I'm going today for her. I'm going today for him and for yourself. I mean, I'm not, I want you to benefit from this. But do you consider one another and how to stir one another along? And I just wanted to tell you, like I walked up today. I just wanted, here's a little testimony. I walked up and I saw Max Shoemaker standing outside, holding an umbrella, directing traffic. There he is. He's dry now. He's okay. But I saw him out there and I said, man, that encouraged me. I, I believe in Jesus a little more because I saw Max Shoemaker with an umbrella this morning. And I was like, okay, he's here because he loves the Lord. He's here because he wants to serve God's people. He loves the people that Jesus loves. So encouraging to me. And we don't pay the parking lot guys, you know. They're just here because they love Jesus. Because, okay, how am I going to stir people along today? How am I going to help people worship today? That's actually how we hold on to the faith so we have to gather and consider one another. That's why our home groups are so important. That's why you just gathering for lunch and coffee. This, it's when we gather, when we face one another, that we stir another along toward love and good deeds. All right, last, 
local church-centric text. I know we're still on our first point, technically. Galatians 6.10. And I, I just give you this, a very short text, but just to show you how kind of local church-centric the New Testament is. It says, so then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, right? Christians are concerned to doing good to everyone, showing honor to everyone, loving everyone, but especially to those who are in the household of faith. And again, you see this language throughout the New Testament. The, the, the Christian church is a very local church-centric idea where we work this command of Jesus out, this command to love one another with a body, with a body of believers, so the second question then is how? How do we love one another? Now the context of John 13, the command that Jesus gives, the new command, here's what's happened. It's Passover. It's the last night that the disciples have together before Jesus is going to be taken away from them. Now they don't necessarily know this. Jesus knows. I think that they probably have a hunch. They at least know it's Passover and that it's important. And so they get to the upper room and you know what they're thinking? They're thinking rank. They're thinking, I want to be close to Jesus. And so everybody runs in. They forget about what was customary at the time, which was feet washing. And they all run because they want to be the guy sitting next to Jesus. And, so, and, and in fact, another account of this night, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Everybody's thinking about rank. Everybody's thinking about who's going to be the guy in the kingdom. And then Jesus in light of this, sees all their dirty feet, realizes that nobody has, ev has even thought about serving one another. And so he, the highest ranking person in the room, gets a bucket of water, gets a towel, and it's this amazing scene. He goes around and washes all their feet and serves them so humbly. It's a powerful scene. And then he says, this is the command, guys. As I have loved you, as I've humbled myself before you, as I've served you, as I've done this utterly upside down thing, this is the command. This is the new command. And again, you've heard me talk about this too. The, there's two words in the Greek for new, chronos and kainos. This is kainos. This is, this is a better command, a more holistic command. It's unlike the other commands we live in a world, in an age, that is consumed with rank and the way that you get rank. How do you get rank in the world? You know, you know what you do? You obey the commands, right? You do what you're supposed to do. How do, you, how do you get rank? You do good in school and you obey the command of your teacher and then you get a good grade and then you go to a good college and then you obey those commands and you work your whole life Obeying commands so you can get rank. We do this professionally. We do this with money. We do this morally, right? You know, I grew up in a very, you know, kind of traditional setting in Alabama. I'm from Alabama. I went to a Baptist church, right? There was kind of traditional moral values there. And people were very concerned with putting forth a good moral image. Um, as I've gotten older and, and uh, gotten to know people in, in different, less traditional settings, I've learned that moral image is not something that they care about in Alabama. It's, it's everywhere, right? But more progressive folks, the moral image is, you know, I want to be a tolerant person or I don't want to have backwards thinking or be open-minded or whatever the moral code is. Everybody does this. 
Everybody cares about rank. Everybody wants to prove that they really are the best. They have the heart of the Pharisee in Luke 18 and says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like all these other men. You know, COVID has kind of shown this, right? And of course, there's different thoughts on COVID, but I know a lot of people are very concerned. I want to do this. I want to do all the right things. I know people on the other side that says, I'm going to do none of the things because I'm going to prove that I'm free. And yet, none of this is motivated by actual love. It's just rank. It's just posturing. And so Jesus comes into this kind of world, into our world, into this world that's not very different than ours today. He says, here's what's important. Of course the commands are important. Of course the laws are important. But here's what's really important. Here's the kainos command. Here's the better command. Do you love me? And do you love one another? Do you really love one another? Do you really love one another? Are you willing to be humiliated a little bit because you love one another? Are you willing to be like seen in the wrong place? Are you willing to have somebody like maybe cast you in the wrong light because you love one another? Are you willing to not flex your rank because you love one another? Are you willing to be seen doing the worst job because you actually love one another? That's, that's how the world is going to know that you're like me. And this gets us to the why of the command. Why is this so important to the heart of Christ? It's because this is who Jesus is. Don't, don't you see what Jesus is doing here? The washing the feet, the cleansing of the disciples, it's just a signpost to what he's about to do for them. The highest person ever. The highest person ever. Jesus is the throne of God is his. And yet he went to the lowest place. He died for the sins of the worst person. <laughs> he, he went to the most humiliating place. He became an outcast. He became estranged. He was totally put out. He was totally separated from God. He was totally put away from all of his comforts. He became so poor. Here's the deal. If you know that, if that Jesus has called you, if you know what he's done for you, if you know how he's loved you, then you'll start to love like him. You'll start to love others like him. You'll start to love the people that he loves like he loves them. This is how. This is how we know that the gospel coin has dropped with you. And so I just want to ask you that. Where's your heart today? Are you consumed with rank? You know, is your kindness only to be seen? Do you really love the people you're serving and you just love that they say, thank you. You're so humble after you serve them. Do you really love without expecting anything in return? Because you've been loved by the Lord. 
Do you really love Jesus? Or do, do you just obey his commands because maybe there's a reward with Jesus, but do you really love him? Do you know how much he's loved you? And how is that working out in your life? How is that shown in your life? These are good things to ponder on the first Sunday of the year. Beneath the cross of Jesus, beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. How could I now dishonor the ones that Jesus has loved? Beneath the cross of Jesus, see the children called by God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that by your mercy and love, not because of our rank, because, Father, we, we have no rank. Our only rank is of your enemy, somebody who has run from you, Lord. But because of your radical mercy and love for us, you sent your son Jesus to bear our sin, to take our place. You loved us like this in Christ. And so, Father, now for his sake and in his name, I pray that you would lead us to love one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.